Welcome back, townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And we are the Brothers McGill, here to pick a random monster from a random monster manual and discuss it. I have 21 monster manuals in total. I have a full list on the site, fecklessmomes.com. Head on over to the Random Encounters page there. And if you see a monster manual that you have, if you see a monster that you'd like us to discuss, please, by all means, drop us a line. There is a contact on the Feckless Momes site, or you can send us an email at momes at fecklessmomes.com. Let us know which monster you want to discuss. But in the meantime, until we get one of those requests, we will just keep pulling random. This week's random monster manual is the Pathfinder Bestiary number three. And the page for this bestiary is page 118. This unfortunately has very little flavor text. I'll try to pick pieces of the surrounding text to give you a little more context before you guys actually make a guess. So here we go. This enormous snail has a brightly colored shell and four tentacles on its head, each tipped with a mace-like club. They are intelligent gastropods that subsist on fungus, mold, and vermin, though they may attack larger creatures in self-defense. Known for their magic-warping shells and club-like tentacles, they roam slowly through subterranean caverns, writing great epics in their slime trails. It is two words, and it rhymes. It will make you roll your eyes the way that a bad pun makes one roll their eyes. I don't think we've seen these critters since like 3.5 slash Pathfinder, but I know they have them in 5e now. It is akin to the name Frog Hemoth. The giant frog monster that they have is called a frog hemoth. I would put this right up there with that kind of name. The fail snail? Oh, you're so close. You're so close. Flail snail. There you go. Yeah, it's the flail snail. <laughs> oh, for the love of God. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Why would you do that? I'm officially resigning my position. Oh, I think it's so funny. It's cringeworthy funny, though. It's just bad. It's also funny. And apparently they're somewhat iconic to D&D. I didn't know them until 5e. <laughs> oh, you look, did you see, just see a picture? I just scrolled to that page. That's fantastic. So they are a CR4, so that's not bad. You could certainly encounter them early on. They are a large magical beast. They have a negative one initiative, which, you know, makes sense for for a snail. They have the defensive abilities of retraction and warp magic. That's really cool. And they're immune to poison. Oh, and they resist fire. That's interesting. I guess the shell, maybe. 
my defensive ability is retraction as well. <laughs> That's what my therapist says. Yeah. That's what my wife says. Your therapist, yeah. Ah. Uh. They come in solitary pairs or a route apparently that is the collective noun for for flail snails a route of flail snails is three to thirty thirty flail snails i wouldn't want to come up against 30 flail snails large beast large beast unless you're like level 20 and it could just be really kind of fun it's like you know when you put in invincibility in the game genie and you just like ran through all the levels and just bopped everything that's the only time I would want to face 30 flail snails. It's like just a line of Goombas all at once. Right, yeah, and you just have permanent uh, invincibility star. Yeah. This warp magic thing is actually kind of cool. It's not just flavor. Anytime a spell targets a flail snail, there's an 80% chance that it produces a random effect instead of affecting the snail. Only spells that directly target the flail snail are warped, so it can't be like an area of effect. If it's warped, you roll a d10 and consult the following table. So this is the original Wild Magic Sork. Yep. I'm really digging it. So a 1 through 3, the spell misfires, and then for the next 1d4 rounds, the caster must make a dc15 concentration check to successfully cast spells. 4 to 6, the spell misfires, and the creature nearest the flail snail is affected as if the spell had been cast on it instead. So watch out your tank and your rogue. Uh, 7 through 9, the spell fails, nothing happens. And then a 10, the spell rebounds on the caster. That's cool. That's fun. I love that just like completely unpredictable. You can't account for that. Assuming you you have any cursory knowledge of the flail snail you kind of know that coming in yep so a wild magic sork is just a regular sorcerer that licked too many wild snails there it is yep they ate too much escargot or they drank too much of the mucus yeah exactly Hmm. i think they're fun i think they're they're more fun like what else what else are you going to see at cr4 you know you don't get into the really really crazy scary monsters until a bit later so at cr4 it's what like a hobgoblin or something this is fun i like that they one can up their defense with their shell that's that's a particular action that they can yeah oh and and they can the retraction is a swift action yes that's instant that's awesome but i i like more that they can affect their environment with their mucus. Yeah, mucus is really says cool. That they have mucus trails that cover a space and last for 10 minutes, and there are two different forms, slimy and sticky. It says with the slippery... I feel like we're in health class right now. Well, <laughs> the slippery mucus is they have to roll a DC-14 reflex to save, or they fall prone, and then if they go through the sticky it's immediately difficult terrain. And then they can just zip through their own slime at ease. They aren't, they aren't affected at all. Yes, and I, but I like the fact that it kind of has potential. If it's really important for someone to go through that trail, it can take a move away from someone because 
a square of mucus exposed to a fire source dries and reverts to normal. So if that's something that needs to be done, the sorcerer has to take a turn to dry that and kind of waste a turn, right? Or just, I think you're more likely to just say, I, I hope I roll well. Yeah, yeah, true. That being said, like, if you don't want to risk hitting a spell or hitting the flail snail with a spell and losing it or having to concentrate or hitting an ally, maybe you do have the, the sork go over with a torch or go over with a fireball and do it and basically act as non-magical support for that specific fight. If the rest of your party makeup can suitably handle the snail, then there's no reason not to. Why take that risk, I guess? And that's a great way to think outside the box in terms of party makeup and party utility and a, a member's utility. It's not just, oh, he's the Sork, so he has to be throwing fireballs all the time. I love seeing opportunities to adapt and seeing the party adapt on the fly. It's difficult to, I think it's kind of difficult to craft a situation that really that not only gives them that opportunity, but really pushes them to think that way. Matt, you've, I know you haven't DM'd a whole lot. Do you, just based on your experience, well, I mean, as, as role for autism, like you try to make them think outside the box, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's easy for them to just go in and, and say, oh, well, this is my character, so this is what he does. But, Maybe this is a situation, you know, it's the perfect setup. It's fire makes this go away. Yep. And also shooting fire at that guy is very dangerous. So what can you do? Exactly. Yeah. What's your second option Yeah. in this, you know, and that's one thing to that Roll for Autism is trying to do is maybe don't take the first path because the first path is not always the best. Yeah. Have you built any encounters that try to encourage them to to see their character from a different angle or, or see what other possibilities that they can do just yet? Or is that more something that you you kind of have in your mind going into the encounter, but it's it's more dependent on the specific players playing that character. Everything's always malleable. Sure. Depending on the, on the players. Most of the encounters have been not necessarily looking within oneself to see what they can do, but seeing what either you have on your person or you have in the environment around mm -hmm. you and being observant, I guess you could say of sure of your surroundings Every character has special abilities or spells or things like that that they can use. And that's, like I said before, it's that's what makes it malleable. Is that you can, you point to the various spells that they have at their command. And if you know something as the DM will, will help, whether it's a fireball or something like that, you try to give them a round or two to come to it on their own or have one of their, their party members kind of point them in that direction and if they don't and it looks like they're struggling then you you begin to 
kind of inch them in that direction, maybe ask them, do you have anything on your spell list Mm. that you think might help? Do you have anything, any of your items that you think might be beneficial in this situation? Sure. So you, you encourage the critical thinking, but it's not, it's not necessarily that you have, it's not like you've created a specific scenario where you know, okay, this, this is the point where the barbarian will have to use his rage to get through or something. For, for example. No, no, no. Uh, it, and that's specifically because there are, so far there are eight classes mm. and you only create a, basically a playthrough of four characters. Okay, so you, you do time. give them the option to create the characters then. Oh yeah, well to choose the right, character. Sure, they're they're yeah. they're pre-gened, but still. Exactly. Yeah. So you you can't necessarily say this is the wizard level. Sure. When your only magic user is maybe the bard. Sure. I don't know why I thought that you only had four characters, so like they they had to choose from the four. Maybe that's when I when I first saw it. You only had the four. Yeah. It started with four, and I actually have. There are four more characters that we that are going to be um, Kickstarter stretch goals. Okay, sure. So if you know you get you can get your bard, your sorcerer, your cavalier, and the rogue as stretch goals if we if we make it that far. Right. So that that's certainly something to keep in mind. But do hmm. so it's it's really just a st- a, a standard. D and D setup where think outside the box of what you have available to you. You know, maybe some creative critical thinking, but it's not it's not character specific. It's not character reliant. No, not necessarily. There are some a fireball would work here, but also just fire in general. So the easy way out would be if you had the sorcerer or you had a wizard with a fireball spell but there are other options there's a torch in the room instead something so like there's that. always plan b yeah there are always several options exactly just to make sure that all the avenues are covered regardless of the classes that are in play so i think from what i know about roll like i think the flail snail straight out of the book could be a, a nice little encounter for them Absolutely. I think I think that the Flail Snail may make his debut in one of the future uh episodes. I think it could be it, it could keep the or it could lighten the mood depending on on how serious it is. Yep. Just because it's goofy. It's goofy as all get out. And there is that level of of having to think about it in a in a little bit of a different way instead of just throw fireball hit with big stick. Exactly. That will force the players to just look at it a little bit differently and assume what can they do what are their options in this in this particular combat yeah i'm really glad that we landed on the flail snail (laughs) brandon what class would you least like to be facing the flail snail because I, I, I feel like everybody has something of a disadvantage against them, except maybe like a ranger. But being a ranger in general is a disadvantage, so. 
Oh, no ranger love. <laughs> no, no ranger love at all. I feel like from an attack standpoint, something like a barbarian. You think you think that'd be worse? Tankish. I think so, because this this thing has some cool defenses. I mean, this yeah. thing can go on the ceiling, it can go on the wall. It can slow and you know, the barbarian mm. isn't quick to begin with. Right. So you're up close and personal. You're in the middle of the sticky or the slippery. Yeah. You could get hit by the flail, which is... The melee is four slams. Four slams! Plus seven, a d4 plus three. That's, I mean, crit, that's seven. But at level four, you, you don't have that much health, even for, for barbarian or a tank. So you're up in the middle of all that nonsense. Yeah. And then, say, your caster starts throwing stuff, you could get hit with that, too. Yeah. The caster has a 10% chance of getting it shot back at him. Yeah. But the barbarian has a 30% chance of getting hit by that same spell. (laughs) Well, there's, I mean, that and there's, remember, there's the retraction. You know, as as a swift action. Yeah, you may not even be hitting this thing. Right. So maybe the tank's purpose is not to be focusing on the damage. It's really just to be there up in its bidness on this one. Right, exactly why I said from an attack standpoint. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to do much as a tank. You're there to take the damage yeah. at that point. That being said, though, if your caster has become utility and your tank is really focusing on just keeping aggro and not doing all that much damage maybe like you're very quickly running out of people to do damage yeah that's two-fifths of your party if you've got five people right who knows of parties of five anymore you know it's more likely four people more likely half of your party so you hope that your ranger is landing hits and I don't know, you're rogue, or if you're stuck with a healer on top of that, they're not doing that much damage either. If any. It's legit just the rogue back there poking away. Yeah. I have a begrudging respect for the flail snail just playing out that scenario in my head. They're a lot more of a pain than I thought. Mm -hmm. They kind of hide behind the facade of being goofy, but they're yeah, because of the name. Yeah, and they're they're not necessarily all that terribly dangerous. It would just be a pain in the butt to have to kill one. Yeah. Yeah. They're more armor than they are damage. Yeah. Although uh, those four flails, those four attacks. Potential. I mean, yeah. at a crit, I don't know, at level four, what is that? Maybe a third of your health points? Maybe more? If they were to do max damage at seven? Well, what's cr- yeah. what's crit in, in three five, Matt? Is that double damage? Yeah, usually, yeah. So, so a crit is fourteen. Mm-hmm. And let's say, so we did we did the math last time. So barbarian probably has a d. We'll be generous and say a d ten mm-hmm. hit die, and we'll give them a plus three to their con. So that's thirteen. 18, 23, 28. 
So that is that is half. They get they get hit half. once. Oh no, I didn't add the threes. I'm sorry. So add six to that. So thirty two. But still, or thirty four rather. Close to half. Yeah. Darn near close. Yeah. Like that one. You're looking at about forty forty five percent. You crit on one, and then you get hit with even two more. You're looking really rough. You're looking really really rough. Bloodied can happen pretty quick. Yeah. That's if you don't get that splash damage or that bounce back or whatever too from the sork. Yeah. Yeah. Also assuming that you don't proc that 30% from your Sork whipping a fireball. Let's hope it's not a fireball because they have resist fire 10 on top of all that. Yeah. Nick, a DM question. Yeah. If you TPK with a flail snail, do you just close up shop and find a new party? So you're putting the the onus on the party for having died as opposed to the DM for having killed. Yes, if your party dies... As if your party is bad enough to die on a flail snail. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, I'm of the camp that there should never be a TPK. There should never, ever be a TPK. That is not fun. Unless your party has explicitly said and shown interest or a modicum of excitement about the idea of a whole party wipe that's just the biggest roundest turd in the fruitiest punch bowl there is think about how that how that changes the dynamic of player and dm sure if you kill the whole party and then on top of that it was a flail snail exactly i guess would your party ever even come back for the next session or would they they would be busy that's what i was going to say i th- i think you could technically ruin a good thing you got going unless you do want it unless you are genuinely tired of dming and don't want to do it anymore <laughs> this is your last hurrah that's the worst way to do it yeah that's like <laughs> it's like coming back from a business trip and your girlfriend has all your stuff out on the lawn like that's it's the Thelma and Louise over the side of the <laughs> cliff oh, wow. of the DM. But the DM is driving the car by remote control. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But because it's the flail snail, it, since it's the flail snail, it's the Wayne, it's the Wayne's World version of, of sure. Thelma and Louise. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. So just to recap, though, just, to, just at the very end, to answer your question, Matt, I think there are greater issues... Greater underlying issues if there's a TPK. Fair enough. But yeah, I don't think it's good news if it happens from a flail snail. I think it's even worse news, I guess, if it happens from a flail snail. It's even more insulting with a flail snail because even though the flail refers to the weapon flail, flail is also used as a term in conjunction with when you see a bug that has too many legs and it really bothers you. And you flail, yeah. It's an action that it's, you do. It is a verb, yeah. When you bring the fire close to the snail, it just kind of goes... <laughs> yeah, it, 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 if it accidentally kills your party, that's that's the worst yeah. part, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nick. Yeah, yeah. I have one for you. Give it to me. As a DM, another DM question, and maybe give a little taste on what this is, but how would you use the slime rope? Okay. Because we we didn't talk about this yet, but it seems pretty cool. Slime rope. A flail snail can turn its mucus into a rope-like strand up to 60 feet 
and can use this rope to hang itself and up to a thousand extra pounds from the ceiling indefinitely or to lower itself safely at a speed of 20 feet per round. It can climb back up this rope at a speed of 10 feet per round. Once the snail breaks contact with the rope, the slime decomposes in 1d4 rounds. While the slime rope exists, other creatures can climb the rope with a DC 20 climb check. I would make a cavern with all these round, funny-shaped rocks, great big, boulder-looking rocks, but also full of a bunch of slimy ropes that look to be attached to these rocks, either on the ceiling or on the floor or whatever, and have them slowly somehow discover that these are flail snails. And the flail snail is, in my mind, it doesn't seem inherently aggressive or violent. So assuming nobody actively attacks these things, they could just have a kind of a cool gorillas in the mist, uh, flail snail in the slime experience of passing through this this cavern that is inhabited by, I don't know, what what's the... A route. A route, thank you. A route of flail snails. That could be a cool, just a flavor experience. And okay. you'd give them the experience for getting through there. Because experience doesn't just come from killing things. It comes from from solving puzzles. It comes from getting through an encounter, regardless of how you got through the encounter. Right. You- if your bard rolls high enough on a charisma and seduces the flail snail and then has to pay flail snail alimony for the rest of his life, doesn't matter. He got through the encounter and he's going to be paying for it. But everybody else gets the XP reward. Right. That is the wrong use of the slime rope. <laughs> if that's the wrong use, I don't want to be right. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> that was a a potential initiation a use in, in the initiation of the encounter. You know what I mean? It wasn't during the battle. That was that was interesting. It was one that was one I didn't think of. Yeah, because I don't think that they could it's not like they can shoot it up and then like grappling hook out of the way you know they have to be connected to it no i know and but my thought was maybe multiple snails and one of them i don't really know if it's possible but one of they grab one or two party members and hold them is that possible oh so so they come down and then come back up yeah because they have that ability, they have the ability to hold up to a thousand pounds. It doesn't really say whether or not they can snatch someone up. I see nothing about a grapple or anything in terms of their feats or their their skills. Yeah, there's no grapple. There's no. There's nothing to grab onto someone. That being said, a I think it makes a great reveal to have the the snail drop down in front of them. If they don't make a good enough perception roll, mm-hmm. then they won't even notice these things. So to see that thing drop in front of them could be a really cool visual. But also, maybe you make this thing like an NPC's mount or something. Oh. And they have to get across a chasm or they have to climb up to the ceiling. So this thing drops down yeah. 
everybody grabs onto the the harness on the back of this thing shell it zips back up the line at a casual pace of of 10 feet per round it's not a racing snail no no (laughs) although 10 feet per round is is 60 feet in a minute yeah that's like a third of the normal speed yeah but that's also if it's 60 feet a minute that's 360 feet an hour how many feet in a mile it's like 5200 isn't it it is wow 5280 so at 30 360 that gives us it moves at 0.068181 repeating miles an hour <laughs> so so like a, as a snail does as a snail would they they did the the math well on that one yeah so i think i think the fight would be crappy but i think there's a lot of opportunity for some cool flavor in a lot of different ways with this guy for sure i think you kind of hit it on the head with the whole mount thing yeah that's really cool it seems to make a lot more sense because, as it says, they're intelligent gastropods that subsist on mold fungus, blah, 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 blah. They may attack larger creatures in self-defense. Right. So for them to really attack something that is more apt to defend itself, they have to either be prompted or provoked. They need good reason to. Yeah. And because it moves so slowly, it's, it's not a mount that you ride on. It's more a pack mule. There's baskets yeah. like affixed to the sides of this the shell. Yeah. And say it's like it's a subterranean it's a, a dude that, that goes between subterranean cities and, and sells his wares, you know? Yeah. Or they could be legitimate mules. They're 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 big well, enough, right, yeah. carrying huge amounts of God knows what. Yeah. Products or infrastructure or something. Yeah, I, I think I think they're as cliche and trite as it is, I think the possibilities are really endless with these guys because they're not so so cookie cutter set in stone. And they're 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 they are actually as goofy as they are, they are very unique, I feel. So Nick. Yeah. Since we never get to ask you, between one and ten red balloons. <laughs> What would you rate? Luft balloons. Luft balloons. Yes. Thank you. I think I, I've just been praising them for the last 10 minutes. I, I would put them at a nine or a 10. I think they're really cool. Oh, the, wow. the more, the more I talk about them, the more I think about the, the utility and the uniqueness outside of just straight up combat. And even in combat, like as a DM, this would be really fun to throw at players. And it would be really fun to see them forced to think outside the box and actually probably get frustrated about it. Yes. But on top of that, like it's it's some really there's a lot of fodder for really cool NPC flavor as well, I think. Agreed. So I I would give them anywhere between an 8 and a 10. 8 if you're using just for combat, 10 for some really cool character development. Okay. Yeah. Final thoughts on the flail snail, Brando? <laughs> It ended up cooler than any anybody thought just right. by hearing the name. 
Yeah. It actually ended up being substantial. I mean, you know, yeah. it's it's not going to it's not going to TPK, but I think it can hold its own. Yeah. Believe it or not, at a level 4, you know. One final thing, its shell is worth 800 gold pieces. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> that's nothing to shake a stick at, especially at level Flail four. Flail snail poachers. Yeah, that's oh, what. No. How cool is that? How cool of a story hook is that? <laughs> Flail yeah. snail pita. Yeah, there would have to be a party that goes after the poachers. Exactly. Yeah, that that could be super cool. Uh, Matt, any any final thoughts for you? I'm just too cool for shells. I mean, you know. I was going to say, is that a Teenage no, Mutant Ninja Turtles reference? Isn't but that... PETA too cool for fur or whatever? They're... Oh, is that is that their, their thing? Too cool for shells. No one is too cool for shells. Oh, how dare you. Because that implies that the, the flail snail is not cool, and they're pretty gar- gosh darn cool, I think. I, I, just, I like the, the fact that flail snails are... You can plug them in just about anywhere, and they can have some sort of utility. Yeah. They are... The little two by four Lego brick, as opposed to a six by eight Lego brick. That that was a that was almost as interesting as you calculating how many feet are in a mile. <laughs> the hit points. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't calculate. He googled. We make for fantastic radio here, <laughs> and that is it for this week's random encounters come on back in another week and we'll discuss another random monster from a random monster manual please do the thing and do not randomly rate review and subscribe please intentionally rate review and subscribe to this podcast we would greatly appreciate it and we'll be back in a week while you're waiting for us be sure to head on over to fecklessmomes.com check out our other podcast talk tall to me or check out our actually first podcast from the Brothers McGill that is on temporary hiatus right now, Rigged. We've got a little bit of a back catalog on that guy as well. So uh, do some poking around in feckless moments, and we'll see you in a week. Thanks for listening. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And we are the Brothers McGill. This has been Random Encounters. <laughs>